So as uh, I look around the congregation today, um, in fact, early on, uh, Carlos was in here practicing with the group, and Martha is there, and I saw you on Easter. I don't think we got to spend a lot of time, but I told her what a walking testimony. Those of you who don't know her story, you need to talk to them at some point. Um, there was a period that we didn't think we'd ever see her again until glory. So uh, it's, it's a round of applause to you and to the Lord. So, And then somewhere, there's my mother and sister that are here. And those of you who know me long enough, uh, Mom and Beth came and lived with us for about three months, I guess. We were in Mexico. So what year was that? Is that 19? January of 19? Is that when it was? January 20. It all runs together. Last year was COVID, so 19, yeah. So uh, mom had hip surgery, and, and uh, was, we loved to tease her. Uh, the one time I visited her in the nursing home, she thought I was one of five sons she had. And I said, um, Mom, I, I'm the only one I know of. What are the other ones' names? So uh, at that point, I said, we need to get her back to Texas somewhere, you know, even though we're Yankees by birth, so don't hold that against me. But uh, we came down here, and, and uh, it's just like a miraculous thing once again, how God took a hold of her, and so we're so thankful they're here today. So, um, and I, I hate to do all the announcements because it's like, you know, it sets your sermon up wrong, but I, I've got to do these. You saw the donations for, what was it, Pierce? Four thousand, or Dan, I'm looking at him for money. 4,600? Yeah, we missed our goal, okay? That's a good thing about having goals. If you, you know, you, you, you want to try hard, we'll try harder next time. And we'll, I think our goal was, was it 6,000 this year? Yeah, we could have said 4,000 when we reached it, but it was higher than what we gave. But at the same time, this congregation gave $4,000 away to uh, different mission, direct mission support uh, for uh, pastors along the border who have not been able to hold services thanks to COVID and no offerings and also to feeding children along the border that are, have been displaced as well as supporting a Baptist church in the Philippines as they are being evicted from the place that they're renting so they can go buy some land. So uh, in, the, in these past really almost two months, in addition to what we give with the cooperative program and all the offerings that we give every week, we've given an additional uh, approximately $8,500 away or $8,600 away. So once again, thank you so much for your generosity because God has blessed you and you have blessed others with that. So thank you so much. Uh, today, those of you who have been following along on this uh, series from James on a faith that works know that uh, I have asked for uh, members of the congregation to bring me some sort of old tool. That was a uh, little picture that I, I'm sure we paid for that, right, Pierce? <clears throat> or that's at least a non-copyrighted photo, I'm sure. But yeah, thank you, Pierce. Give me a thumbs up. And we used that, and I said, it'd be great to have old tools, because James is this practical book about how your faith can work. So I brought in different tools from week to week, and one of the first people to bring me anything was uh, Laura Earlywine, and this is a magic wand. And I thought, well, can I make you, you know, more and more of you, you know, multiply? No, it's actually for uh, quilters. She actually sent me a video, too, so I could learn how to use it if I really knew how to cut up little patches of material. But it has a half an inch uh, measurement running through the middle of it. So if you're cutting out squares of material and you're doing that folding thing and making all these angles and all these precise uh, lines, this is a wonderful, it's a magic wand to do that. So 
Keep this in mind, magic wand, all right? And the other thing came in from our chairman of the deacons, which is a cigar in a cigar case uh, that we could go out and smoke after the service. <laughs> it is not. It is not. It is often referred to, I think, as a cigar level or of that nature. But a, survey, uh, a surveyor would use this to look through and look at a long distance away. Actually, which way were the line supposed to go? This way or that way? Because it's, it's got a level float bubble in there. Which, would the line go this way or that way? The bubble's on top, okay? So that puts the line uh, horizontal, all right? And you could be able to shoot the grade. You would know if you're level land here and you're looking at a long distance, you would be able to know what the grade is, as well as that we were talking about it right before the service. I was confirming with uh, Saul that I had the right idea that uh, a skilled surveyor could probably estimate distances knowing what uh, the height of something is nearby him at a long distance. He would know that it, now that thing is six foot tree. looks like it's, you know, uh, half an inch like uh, the magic wand. Uh, he would know uh, how far away he was looking. So as I pulled these things out for you today, um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had tools like that to look at our congregation? I shouldn't have put it away. Because if I could look at this congregation at a long shot distance, man, do we look like sweet, loving people. I mean, we care for each other. We're all cleaned up. We smell good. We've just talked about we gave $8,500 on top of all the other things that we do for the Lord, and we're helping people. But then I get Laura's thing out here, and I get to looking really close. Close, and I see that some of you don't measure up. In fact, I turn it on myself, and I don't measure up. And I'm a little short. I'm a little unlevel. I'm a little cut wrong, and I'm in need of some grace and mercy. Well, today James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's from verse 13 of the section we'll be reading from the second chapter of James. And we continue on with this study that we find that a faith that works shows mercy. A faith that works shows mercy. James writes his letter, and I try to give you some summary statements every week, because some of you, this is the first Sunday you've been awake by the time the sermon comes up. So, if you haven't been awake or you haven't been here, James is writing his letter to Christians. Uh, he has been attacked many times by saying his book is not theological enough because he does not expound any particular doctrine. He does not enter any, into any intellectual debates. In fact, his singular purpose is to say, if you are a Christian, this is how you should live. He is right in your face with this practical how-to guide on living as a Christian. It is a divinity practical primer, if you will. That's a new word I just made up today. Test the validity then of your faith because a living faith is a working faith. Now, if you join with me, please, I'll read for you, to you from that second chapter, beginning at verse 8. He's continuing on with his argument about favoritism. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, a congregation, and, and some, some think it's hypothetical. Some think it's actually an observation that he had made that a wealthy person came into a meeting or a synagogue or a worship. That's the word he actually uses, a synagogue. Came into worship, and he, the wealthy person is greeted with great admiration. 
And the poorest person comes in and he is told to stand at the back or even better yet, to sit at the feet of the worshipers. So he's talking about favoritism. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As we get ready to pray, I want to remind you that uh, Ruthie Ford is back in the hospital. And I got a message late last night. Her son has come in from Washington State. She had to have another surgery yesterday. Uh, She's dealing with an infection from the first corrective surgery. So... Uh, Our prayer is that she is on the road to healing today, but very, very tired, as you can imagine, fighting infection from a surgery and then another surgery on top. So let's lift up Ruthie as we also lift up these scriptures to speak to our hearts right now. Father, I do pray for Ruthie, and I'm so thankful that her son and his wife and children got here to be by her side. And Lord, I pray that as they love on her, she would fill the prayers of this congregation, lifting her up and strengthening her right now. She's such a sweet, sweet spirit. As I visited her in the hospital this week, she was sharing the good news with those that came into her, her room. I could hear her chuckling, uh, Lord, with the person who was tending to her. So, Lord, thank you for her sweet spirit, and I pray that you would bring healing to her body. And now, Lord, as we look at this passage that we've each been guilty of it sometime, maybe even just this morning, being judgmental, uh, being... Um, condescending, looking down our noses at others. I pray that you would forgive us first and that we might seek your love that covers a multitude of sins and know that we stand today in need of your mercy. So Lord, love us, forgive us, and speak to our hearts in this hour, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, the arguments that James gives for or against favoritism are two. He says, one, you're, you're violating the way that God uh, wants you to treat poor people. In fact, you can find that in verse, uh, I think that was verse 6. Um, no, that's verse 7. No, it's, it is verse 6. I, hang on. Um, that helps when you put your glasses on, Cliff. But have you, you have insulted the poor. Now, that's that argument he's using. If you're treating poor people, you've insulted them, and are they not... Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? And that becomes his pragmatic, or it makes no sense. Why are you elevating the rich, and they're the ones who are taking you to court, he says. So it makes no sense, and you're also violating, because God has this special heart for the poor. We said that the word poor, the idea of helping the poor, is mentioned at least a thousand times in our Bible. God has a special place for those. And if you're treating them with disdain, if you're treating them... In, like they're inferior, you're, you're not doing what God wants you to do. And then, if you're treating the rich, you know, with some special air, 
he reminded me, it doesn't really make sense. These are people who are perhaps taking abuse, abuse of you. And now he says, here's my trump card. And I brought my trump card out. You know what a trump card is? I grew up playing a lot of cards, even though for some Baptists playing cards, I can cut the deck with one hand. And I know how to play a few things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never gambled in my, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure in college I did do something like that. We played a lot of spades. In, in, in the game of spades, spades is always the trump. If you play pinochle, which I know how to play pinochle. How many cards in a pinochle deck? Anybody a pinochle player? 48, thank you. Somebody here, forgive him, Lord. Yeah. Anybody ever play double deck pinochle? Throw out the nines? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Uh, we played that too. Penny a point, nobody keeping score, kind of like another song I know. Uh, but in spades, you can call excuse me, in Pinochle, you call the Trump suit. Bridge is one of those that I used to look at in the paper, and I really couldn't understand it. Those of you who play Bridge, you have to school me someday, because Bridge can change. There's even no Trump and Trump in Bridge. But a Trump card is that card that takes everything. And here, James brings out his Trump card and says, love is the Trump card. In fact, love triumphs over everything. He tells us that there is the royal law, this royal law. Some of you say, in fact, I, I mentioned this passage, that I, what verses I was going to pick up this week, and Dan immediately said, yeah, the royal law. Well, what is the royal law? Let's go to this next slide. It comes from Leviticus, the 19th chapter. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. He says, if you show favoritism, you are a lawbreaker. The law of love that you should love your neighbor as yourself is called royal because it comes from the supreme being, the, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And it talks about permeating all of our human relationships. He is telling us to love one another. Love is the law of his kingdom. It is the law of liberty. And to fulfill the royal law, we must carry it out. But sadly, we have been obedient to many things other than the royal law. Because the royal law is the answer to prejudice. It is that which nullifies prejudice if you will love one another. Imagine if we truly loved our neighbors here in Holotus and in San Antonio and in Texas and in the United States and around the world. If you truly loved your neighbor as yourself. I think the world would be a totally different place. The love for God must motivate us to obey his word and to treat other people as he commands us. Love is that basic foundation of what God offers to us. You know, I, I have, I think, three wooden books. John Wooden, coach for the UCLA. One of his, one of, one of his stories, and it's told, I think, by... Uh, Who's redheaded? Just Walton. Basketball? Thank you. Uh, he tells the story as truth, too. Every year at the beginning of the season, uh, Wooden would have his players come in and says, we're going back to the basics, and he would start with putting on their socks and then lacing up their shoes because if you don't have good footing, your basketball skill is never going to be there. Uh, Vincent Barty, the say amen, Packer fans, uh, Vince Lombardi was known, they said, if they ever got beat by an inferior team, he would tell the next week's practice, you're going back to basics. And he would pick a football up and hold it up and say, boys, this is a football. 
Back to the basics. I mean, it'd be like Emma last night had this wonderful concert we went to, and I don't know, I'll probably blow her name. Coy? Is she the pianist? Is I Cole? Co? Anyway, Cliff can't pronounce anything. But she's the lady who accompanied her on the piano, and is her PhD in piano? My goodness, you know, the lady could really make the, the piano talk, but it would be like going to her and say, listen, ma'am, this is middle C on a piano, and we're going back to basics. It'd be like going to Carlos. Carlos, that, that is a guitar over there, and that's back to basics. Wade, uh, that is a mandolin. He's saying, go back to the basics, love one another. Because when you love one another, it wipes out your issue, your cause for prejudice. Love one another. To overcome favoritism, we must go back to the royal law, reaching out to help each one and love them as we have been loved. But Christians are often too busy to love one another. In fact, we don't reach out to a hurting neighbor. We may not even reach out sometimes to a hurting church member. But when churches will love as we are told to love. We change neighborhoods. We change our family life if you love one another. You change your church life if you allow the love of God to come through you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Once again, I hear James echoing the words of his brother Jesus. Look at this next verse. So in everything you do, or in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What is this called? Golden rule. Which was profound in the time in which Jesus said it. Now we all know it. They knew they were to love one another. And I think it's interesting that James is known as this guy who has a problem with faith because he talks about works. Here Jesus is... That, to me, that is a works-oriented statement. I don't mean that negatively. He's saying, if you love people, do unto them. Do work unto them. Show them the love. I can tell you all I love you, but when you call for me and, I, and you need my help, and I say, I love you, <laughs> I love you. No, come help me. Come do unto me as you would have others do unto you. How interesting it is that James keeps saying the same things that his brother said, and he gets in trouble for it. Love triumphs because whether we look with a distant view or a close-up view, we all have failed, and we're all unlevel. We all have sorts missing in us or pieces on our folds. Love levels, love fills, love restores. James goes on to use an illustration that if you stumble at one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking it all. He speaks of adultery and murder. He actually does them backwards as they are in the Ten Commandments. Some commentators say it's because he's quoting from the, from the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, there is one time where they do use adultery, or adultery is mentioned before murder. I think it's because, and, and even this week as we talked about it in the staff meeting, I think it's interesting that he says... Maybe you haven't committed adultery, but you have committed murder, and you're guilty of committing all the sins. But to me, it would have been a better illustration. Maybe you haven't committed murder, but you probably have committed adultery, and you're guilty of committing them all. Either way you look at it, whether it was meant in order or whether it was meant just to create a thought process, 
Once again, go back to the Sermon on the Mount. I told you that James mimics or parallels so much of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you look at a woman, and I'll say if you look at a man with lust in your eyes or in your heart, you have already been guilty of adultery. And likewise, he says, if you call your brother or sister, rakah, the word for fool, if you call them fool, you're guilty of murder. There are a lot of you murdering people on the highway every week. I know I murdered a couple just yesterday. You idiot, get out of my way. But that is the basis that he is trying to get us to the point that we're all short of the glory of God. We're all in need of his mercy. Love triumphs all. Now, Mike just found out the information last week, so I'm trying to work in every Mike movie that we've ever talked about. Actually, I'm only going to work in your, I'm going to try to do your favorites, and I know this is one of your favorites, and you say, Cliff, you use videos sometimes that don't fit. This one does, because um, if we as a church could be remembered, like remember the Titans, if we could remember, because we loved, and we kept running up the scoreboard of love, if we kept getting up when we'd been knocked down, you would soon know that love does triumph. So let's watch this true little vignette from a high school in Alexandria, Virginia. If you don't know, remember the Titans. It's set in 1971. A high school has been forced to integrate. They've changed the head coach to an African-American coach with the head coach becoming now the assistant coach. And Denzel Washington does a wonderful job. But here, they're playing against another team that the referees, the officials, are in on trying to suppress the high school that Denzel coaches at. So here we go. Hey, Mr. Fisher. Mr. Fisher, can I talk to you for a second? Back off, coach, if you want to stay in this game. I've got holding on 78 white. What are you, are you trying to cheat my boys out the game? 15 more yards. Listen, let them play, ref. Let them play. Reasonable. Let them play. Let the boys play. Cheetah! Coach, come on. Cheetah! Coach! You don't know the movie? I just lost his name, the actor's name. He's been told that go, if go, go, go. he can just keep silent, he'll be nominated to the Hall of Fame of the Oh, come on! Who was that? That's his daughter. vote. This is how love can triumph. I know all about it, Titus. What are you talking about, Bill? You call this game fair, or I'll go to the papers. I don't care if I go down with you, but before God, I swear I'll see every last one of you thrown in jail. You dig your own grave. Defense on me! Okay, Petey, don't you drift to the strong side. Coach, they're calling a holding penalty on me every time. Did I ask for your excuses? You want to act like a star? You better give me a star effort. Do you hear me? Could you imagine being benched at Forget about him! Alan! You're in! preaching illustration Come on. here. All right. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz! 
all night. And if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm gonna take every last one of you out. You make sure that they remember forever the night they played the Titans. Why? so comfortable down there. Real comfortable. Those of you who don't like to play football, now look away. the score of love and leave no doubt that we're going to love all night, blitz all night. We are going to love because love triumphs. Now, before I give you the second point, I've used um, that word triumph. And uh, as I was trying to say it again for my mother and sister this morning, they, they were my review team, um, the Greek word that they use for triumph sounds very much like cock a doodle do. It is kata ka ka o mai. So cock a doodle do. If you just remember that, I think that's probably the easiest thing. It means to triumph, to boast over, to say this is better than the other, to speak loudly. And love says, I'm better. Not that it brings it on itself that you're better because I've loved you. So second point for today is that mercy triumphs. Love triumphs and mercy triumphs. Now, once again, I, I try to, on Sunday mornings, I'm preaching my sermon to anybody to listen before I come up here. And I asked Dan, I said, you know, I uh, feel like I know a few Greek words, took it, preached it, studied it. I could not remember the Greek word for mercy. Eleos, E-L-E-O-S or E-O-U-S, uh, according to how you spell the ending of it. But mercy is a... Um, Interesting word that most of us, probably at some point, if you were trying to define it, might use the word grace. So that brings on the question, what is the difference between mercy and grace? Or is there a difference? Because we often use them interchangeably. But mercy actually has, means compassion. It means pity. Um, it is an action of God towards sinner. sinners. It's, it's someone who's ready to help in a time of trouble. And because Cliff likes to give you his Cliff Perry definitions, this is strictly from Cliff, I think the next one there, is a way that I can at least distinguish between the two. Uh, because that grace definitely has mercy in it, but if you try to separate them, grace is that favor that God conveys to us even when we don't deserve it. But mercy is the response to our need. So in grace... And in the sacrifice of Christ, we receive the mercy that we must have to find life everlasting. But I think, uh, those of you Air Force guys out there, grace is the tr strategic term. 
And mercy is the tactical term. As my sister was explaining it to me, she said, grace is the one you say in the courtroom. Mercy is the one that has sweat and stinks to it. You know, it's like one is the lofty term. The other one is working the shovel or putting your hand to the plow. Grace and mercy go hand in hand just as mercy and love go together because I would go further to say mercy is love in action, responding to the human need because mercy for me is faith in action. Think about that. And on the Sermon on the Mount, look at this next slide. I think I got that in there for you. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. James drives home the point about favoritism and says to live and to treat others with mercy, we should show the same mercy that we have received. And that should wipe out the idea of favoritism. Because he says, if you judge with the same judgment, you will be judged. And I think if we have, do I have another verse on there after this? Let's see that one. Once again, Sermon on the Mount, five verses, or chapter 5 through about 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I was trying to find the right illustration for this uh, idea that how many times we have passed judgment on others when we were wrong. And in Charles Swindoll's book, I think it's from 1990, Grace Awakening, uh, he tells a story about how he was speaking, you know, uh, Charles Wendell, prolific writer, pastor, Texan. Um, he tells a story that he had spoke at some conference, a week-long conference, and there was a couple, kind of like Saul. I, Saul, that's what happens, you pick on the front row. I was telling you guys earlier, you sit on the front row, you get picked on. He's on the very front row. And there was this couple that was sitting there, and he said every time he started speaking in the evening session, five minutes into the session, this guy's dozed off. He's sleeping. And he goes, you know, it lasted Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday comes along. Same thing every night. I mean, five minutes into it, he dozed off. And he said, I just knew I was going to approach this woman that's sitting with this guy because he's probably a carnal Christian. In other words, a Christian, not this guy, but the guy in the illustration. You know, this guy is a guy who's Christian in title only, name only. He, he doesn't really believe it, doesn't really live it, or he'd be committed to what he's trying to convey to him in this seminar. And he said... Before he could even get to the woman, she starts coming towards him and she says, uh, Dr. Swindoll, I just want you to know that my husband is a, a cancer patient and one of his last wishes was to attend one of your seminars. He loves the Lord so much and he loves you as the greatest teacher he's ever heard or read from or listened to. And he said that that moment, he said, I stood there in the greatest judgment I've ever received. For in the way he had judged him, he now felt that judgment upon himself. So with love, you can triumph over judgment. And with mercy, it demands that we triumph over judgment. Now, commentators will argue this last verse a little bit. Um, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Is he talking uh, God's mercy over judgment, or is he talking man's mercy over judgment? And I think in the context, he's talking about us, how we, if we will just show the mercy that we have received, it should conquer, it will conquer judgment. But also, you could say it, it is a two-pronged item because, because of God's great love for us, 
in sending Christ Jesus to us, we will not, and if you believe in him, you will not receive the judgment that you deserve. Because of his grace and his mercy, you can be redeemed if you'll only believe in Jesus. I think we all stand there like Swindoll did sometimes, knowing that we're, in, we're being judged, or we've judged, and we're needing God's grace and mercy at the moment. I have one last uh, cock-a-doodle-do, if you will, uh, of showing mercy triumphing. I actually have pushed this video to you, I think, when it first came out. My wife and I watched it at the beginning of COVID, right at the beginning of the George Floyd uh, episode and as it continues to go on in our news. But it, it, too, is based on a true movie from not even 1971. I think it's based from 1987 or 89 of a man, uh, McMillan, I believe is his his, uh, name, who was imprisoned for murder and wrongly convicted on trumped-up charges in Alabama. So let's let's see this trailer, and I would encourage you to uh, watch it if you have Amazon or Netflix or something like that. Tell me everything that happened. The first time I visited death row, I wasn't expecting to meet somebody the same age as me from a neighborhood just like ours. Could have been me, Mama. But what you're doing is going to make a lot of people upset. You always taught me to fight for the people who need the help most. Your life is still meaningful, and I'm going to do everything possible to keep them from taking it. You don't know what you're into down here in Alabama when you're guilty from the moment you're born. God! Mr. McMillan. We're done here! Mr. McMillan, please! I was just about to give up when I got a call from a Harvard lawyer looking to start a legal center for inmates on death row. I was in before he even offered me the job. You the lawyer? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for driving all the way out here. Most lawyers barely make time to call. I can't believe you talked to all my people and said you want to fight for me. I did. That mean a lot. If you go digging in those wounds, you're going to be making a lot of people very unhappy. People care about a thing that much, they'll do anything to get what they want. When I first learned about all this, it was like looking at a river full of drowning people and not having any way of helping them. You ain't quitting, is you? No, sir. Each of us is more than the worst thing that we've ever done. I know what it's like to be in the shadows. my dad. He did nothing wrong. It's never too late for justice. You're the only one kid enough to fight for me. If we can look at ourselves closely, we can change this world for the better. We all need grace. We all need mercy. I got my truth back. You gave that to me. And ain't nobody gonna take that from us. Thank you. Uh, after all, what, a, what is a lawyer but an advocate? And Christ is that advocate for us to the Father. And it's because of his grace and mercy we might have life everlasting. So I would ask you to stand at this time as we have a time of invitation if you pray with me and examine your own heart and see if you are in need of that mercy today. Father, as we come now to a time of invitation, if there's someone here 
who has never received that sweetness of your love and redemption and forgiveness, I pray that they would not even wait for the music. As, as Mike has said, come running. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, if there's one here who knows that they're in need of your forgiveness, that they wouldn't leave this place without asking for it and receiving that forgiveness. And Lord, if there's somebody here who just wants to come to the steps of this uh, church and, and kneel and pray we, or stand and pray, Lord, we're here. We'll pray with them. Or perhaps someone wants to come and talk about church membership. Lord, we're here. We're wait, wanting to welcome them. And by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in a mighty way in this hour right now. For I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.